Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to episode 27 of the Family Medicine Rocks podcast that will soon be renamed, maybe, for Sunday, December 18, 2011, on tonight's show. Coming up in just a few minutes will be my good friend, Dr. Jerry Tolbert, family physician and podcaster, new podcaster. He has the Here's to Your Health podcast, which we'll be uh, talking about during this show. Uh, and we'll also be talking about the uh, top health stories of 2011 and whatever else may come up in this entertaining show here uh, this evening. So we'll have all that and a lot more coming up on Episode 27 of the Family Medicine Rocks podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, the president of the American Academy of Family Physicians, Dr. Glenn Street. Um, this year, one of my commitments and, and a great interest is to be more engaged with you as leaders, chapter leaders, uh, and, and our frontline membership. Uh, on, on Monday, a Twitter handle, I'm privileged to be the first one to hold, uh, at AFP Prez, P-R-E-Z. I already have 29 followers. I feel so proud. Um, I have a long, long way to go to catch up to uh, our current student board member, Kevin Bernstein, who has a little over 1,000, um, and our, uh, our king of family medicine social media, uh, Mike Sevilla, who has nearly 7,000 uh, members. about medicine and social media. This is the Family Medicine Rocks podcast. I am your host, the friendly family physician. My name is Mike Savella, family physician and social media enthusiast. What is this show about? That's right. I get that question a lot around here. I tell people this is social media through the eyes of a family physician. I encourage you to check out the website at familymedicinerocks.com. Shout out to uh, all 7,939 people following me on Twitter. I don't know why, but I very much appreciate that. Also, shout out to all 299 people who are who like or following the Facebook page for this website. Uh, I know we can reach 300 before the end of the year, so uh, hopefully we'll be able to achieve that goal. 
Today is Sunday, December 18, 2011. It is 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, temperature here at uh, Family Medicine Rocks World Headquarters, uh, wait for it, wait for it, is uh, feels like 24 degrees Fahrenheit. That's right behind Stata. Nice little snowfall here over the weekend, and nothing too, too major, but uh, uh, enough to uh, get people uh, all complain <laughs> about the snow. I'm like, come on, kids, it's a week before Christmas. It's got to snow a little bit. How has your weekend been out there, kids? Yeah, it is one week before Christmas, and uh, if you're like me, uh, you're getting ready for the big uh, shopping day because, you know, I shop uh, on uh, the day before Christmas, Christmas Eve. I'm one of those people. That's right. I am a Christmas Eve shopper, and I am proud of it there, kids. So uh, getting gearing up for that and also be working uh, the uh, Christmas holiday. So for those of you also working on the Christmas holiday weekend, shout out to you. We'll all be out there working together, saving lives there, people. <laughs> so coming up in just a few minutes here will be my good friend, uh, Dr. Jerry Tolbert, a family physician, and uh, working uh, for a company called Total Access Physicians in Burlington, Kentucky. Maybe we'll talk about his work there a little bit. Um, he also started a new podcast. You can find it on iTunes. Uh, you can go to uh, Here's to Your Health. Uh, and search for that on iTunes, and I think he has about a dozen episodes up there already, and we'll be talking about that. And uh, I think he'll be bringing a new story as well, uh, and that's something else to, to chat about. And we have time. We'll also talk about the uh, top health stories of 2011. And what was yours? You know, let me know uh, what that is. So that'll be very exciting uh, to talk about. Uh, just kind of. Uh, Updating here, one of the current event stories here in the last uh, few days, uh, especially having to do with uh, physicians, uh, and is the uh, usual yearly or uh, every other year Medicare watch as far as the uh, SGR or sustainable growth rate or sustained growth rate. What does that all mean? Well, to physicians, it could mean a 27% cut in Medicare payments on January 1st, um, unless something is signed into law. Last week, uh, the House of Representatives uh, passed legislation uh, to uh, hold off on that cut. And uh, just uh, yesterday, the Senate also uh, followed suit uh, by uh, delaying that cut um, and extending the current rates, and I think we got a huge, enormous 1% increase in payment, but only to last two months, 60 days. <laughs> so at this point, if you remember your civics or your government class, uh, the amended uh, legislation has to go back to the House of Representatives. So there's high-level negotiations going on over there as far as what is going to happen uh, with this cut, in addition to other legislation that you've probably heard of, uh, the uh, payroll tax um, and also the uh, Keystone XL pipeline. Uh, but the doc fix, as it is known, um, is still in limbo. Uh, but I wrote a blog post last week called the uh, doc fix debacle again. And uh, 
I made a prediction there uh, that uh, the House would pass something, the Senate would pass something by now. I still predict that uh, the House of Representatives will pass this amended legislation. I predict that the President of the United States will sign something on Wednesday of this week, which will be a 1% uh, (laughs) increase in Medicare payment to expire in two months so he can get on a plane to go to Hawaii to spend 17 days or two weeks or whatever it is with his family. So I think this will be all wrapped up on Wednesday. So mark my words there, kids. I know people will tell me if I'm wrong, but if I'm right, hey, man, come on. (laughs) How awesome would that be? Uh, So I see we have our guest on the line here, so I will take my little bit of a break here, and then uh, we will uh, come back with my guest, Jerry Tolbert. Uh, but first, I do want to thank Blog Talk Radio for uh, having me being a featured host here on the network. Thank you so much for that and having this show on the front page of Blog Talk Radio. I've been a social media hobbyist since 2005, including over 200 of these Blog Talk Radio shows. And if you're curious, yes, I am a family physician, a, a physician in full-time private practice, meaning I see patients five days a week in the hospital and in my office here in beautiful northeastern Ohio. Now we'll take a little break here. You're listening to the Family Medicine Rocks podcast, the unofficial podcast of the Family Medicine Revolution. Google FM Revolution for more details. Also a member of the ProMed Network, a podcast you can get there by going to ProMedNetwork.com. Dr. Jerry Tolbert uh, is coming up right after this. Yes, that's right, kids. Family Medicine's leading voice in social media, in my own mind. This is the Family Medicine Rocks <laughs> podcast, live on a Sunday night here on the Block Talk Radio Network. And on the line right now is my good friend who just finished his uh, shift at work there, Dr. Jerry Tolbert. Jerry, welcome back to the show there, my friend. Thanks for having me again, Mike. So are you in the car? Are you in transit? Are you traveling right now? I mean, are, could, could I be causing a wreck or what's going on there, Jerry? I, I am on the hands-free, so I shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be causing a wreck. I got both hands on the steering wheel. I am in transit, but uh, but I, I think I can handle this part of it. <laughs> so I, I know I, there's so been. How, yeah, go I was just going to say I know there's been a lot of talk here lately. I know there was a big uh, brouhaha earlier in the week about them wanting to ban any kind of electronic communication while driving, um, which I thought was interesting because that means that you couldn't have a radio either. But that's that's just my opinion. <laughs> uh, so, so how you been? So, so did you work uh, today and yesterday, or what? Uh, how's your weekend been going, there, man? Uh, weekend's been going great. Uh, just today, work just today. I've been picking up some scattered shifts at an urgent care near my house while our practice is being sort of finished. Where the building construction's going on right now, and so they're finishing up all the inside details and getting all of the, the cabinets hung and that kind of stuff. And 
and uh, hopefully that'll go live uh, on January 15. So been really busy dealing with all of that. That's kind of consumed most of my last few months. Yeah, well, uh, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Uh, but let, let's let's start off with uh, with this new podcast that you have. Uh, Here's <laughs> to your health. Uh, find it on iTunes. There, kids, search for it, download it, give it a good review. Uh, tell me a little bit about this Here's to Your Health podcast. How did it start, and uh, what, what, what's uh, what's the idea behind it? And for people who have never heard the podcast before, what is what is it about? Uh, so it, essentially, it came out of uh, uh, an idea that I sort of had initially, partly from listening to some of the stuff that you've done, partly from uh, just ideas that I've had for my practice, my personal practice. Uh, what I wanted to really do was, I, I have this passion for debunking medical myths. Uh, for for talking about all of this, um, uh, th- these things that people just accept as facts because people have told them for you know 20 years. Oh, you know, my, my favorite myth. One of the things that I, I love to bust when I when I'm in the office is you know if you go outside when it's cold you're going to catch a cold and that's just it's a, it's a pure myth. And so uh, that that actually led me to start talking about well what could I do if I did a podcast what would it be about and that's kind of where the the nucleus for that came from. And then um, I attended PodCamp Cincinnati here, and uh, I, I'm from Northern Kentucky. It was actually held in Northern Kentucky, and um, that gave me the the kind of um, uh, background and some some core startup information that I needed. You know, shout out to the podcast answer man. He uh, Cliff was there and did a did a talk about some stuff, and that really helped me out. And and so the the podcast itself is just a it started out as a daily, and it's kind of slacked off because I've been really really busy. But started out as a daily um, kind of health minute kind of thing, and only it usually lasts about 10, so daily health, 10 uh, And just, uh, I'm going to read some of the titles here. There's about a dozen of them here that you've uh, uh, did since uh, around Halloween. Uh, they include uh, Flu Shots Shenanigans, which I enjoyed. That was number one. Uh, social Media Medicine, Your Healthcare Dollar, uh, a, f- a Fever, uh, Sleep Hygiene, uh, Vaccines, The Great American Smokeout, uh, cold myths busted. I like that. And the most recent one, as of right now, is uh, direct uh, medicine. Uh, so uh, a wide variety of topics. Uh, how do you how do you come up with the topics there, uh, Jerry? I, I know you probably when you started, you probably had a, a handful of of topics that you really wanted to go for. Uh, um, um, how is it going these days as far as uh, trying to find topics, or do do, do patients uh, uh, mention things, or do they know about your podcast yet? Um, some of them do. Most of it actually comes from, you know, friends and family or conversations that I have during the week. If there's a patient that asks a question in the office, it may, uh, you know, kind of put something forward to to, to think about. Uh, at this point, um, I've kind of I've kind of stepped back from this because I realized that doing a daily podcast was really going to be straining the the volume of information that I'm actually dealing with right now. Meaning there aren't enough topics to cover to really do this once a day. Um, and so I've kind of stepped back from it, and I've taken a couple of weeks off to kind of sit down and maybe put together some ideas. And I've got a few more that I'm going to try to space out a little bit. Um, you know, the the key, I guess, at this point is, is what what I was hoping for when I initially started this was that, you know, people would start to send in questions or that they would, uh, you know, make comments or, or, you know, things on Twitter that you see. Some of those things have, have spurred some of those discussions. Um, you, you contributed one that I thought was actually very poignant, which was the, you know, the deal that you talk about early in the hour there with the doc fix, just that idea that there's, um, you know, there's something going on that, that affects both patients and physicians and people need to hear about it. So, so those kinds of things come across every once in a while too. 
Um, but what I really, my goal is to eventually have it such that people are, are asking questions and I can answer them and make that a little bit more kind of like one of those, uh, uh, you know, Casey Kasem kind of thing. And he's right. Let me, let me, let me ask you some, uh, some geeky questions here. So, so what sure. is, uh, what is your, what is your setup and, uh, you know, what kind of microphone do you have and, uh, you know, how do you, uh, uh, how did you learn how to post things to iTunes? Was that a hard process for people who are starting out? Uh, uh, tell me a little bit about that. So, believe it or not, if you've listened to the podcast, I have people. I've had a few people tell me this that, that have listened. It's hard to tell this, but I'm actually recording on an iPhone 4S. I have no external microphone. I'm just using the standard mics with the noise cancellation, and uh, I use um, a piece of software. Uh, hold on a second. The name is escaping me. Let me pull it up here so I can tell you for sure. It's called iTalk. Uh, that was actually that was one that Cliff um, suggested for people that are just kind of getting started. Uh, it was like a buck or two dollars, something like that. And uh, I record all of my podcasts directly onto the phone. It's usually a single session where it's just me talking, um, and then I go in and edit in Audacity, which is a free piece of PC software, um, to cut out a lot of the uh, dead space. Or if I, you know, if I say something and realize that I could say it much more concisely, I, I'll I'll just kind of keep talking and say it better. Um, and so uh, I sit and um, rehash some of those things while I'm recording and then just cut out the bits that I don't want. Um, and then um, as far as posting to iTunes, I actually use a host for my media files called Blueberry, uh, B-L-U-B-R-R-Y.com. A uh, little plug for them. They're great. They've got good, um, as far as numbers go, it's very inexpensive and good quality hosting. They do some metrics that are free to let you see kind of how often your podcasts are being downloaded, how many unique downloads, so how many people are actually listening to it. Um, and they actually have, as part of the process, when you're signing up, they ask if you want your podcast to be submitted to iTunes. Uh, and I filled in a, a form that essentially just asked a bunch of questions about podcasts. And it, uh, I got about a week later, I got an uh, a email back from iTunes saying my podcast had been accepted. And... Um, I designed the um, graphic myself, just kind of playing around with uh, the motif of the staff of Asclepius, because um, that's something that we've played around with for our, our office logo. And um, I've kind of put all that together myself. It really, honestly, I used every, I, I'm using things that I already had except for that $2 piece of software. Um, so it was actually really, really easy to get it up and running, um, especially for a short-form podcast kind of like this, where it's you know only 20, you know, most, I think the longest one I've ever done was 20 minutes, so. Uh, well, great. So, uh, was that was that pretty easy to learn? I mean, it didn't sound too difficult. I mean, I, I guess the difficult thing for me, because I, I considered this before, was like the whole uh, putting it up on iTunes. It sounds like it was a pretty straightforward process. Yeah, especially if you've got a, a media hosting site that's helping, um, it makes it a lot easier. It, it's actually fairly easy to submit it to iTunes yourself. Um, in fact, there's a uh, just a single form that you fill out. It's a one-page thing. Um, it, it's actually um, you know, one of the things I learned from from the PodCamp and from just dealing with this is that you really do have to have a separate host. Like if you've got a website or a blog, um, you want some place that's just dedicated to media files because it's a lot of megabytes of, of, of data that are going to be flying around. And if you get one podcast that takes off and you get, say, 100 downloads, um, you know, most of mine are averaging about 10 megabytes. So that's a gigabyte of data that has just been transferred. Um, and in some cases, if you, you, you get... 
somebody wants to listen to my back collection, let's say I got really popular all of a sudden and those hundred people wanted to listen to all 12 podcasts. Well, that's 12 gigabytes of data that are trying to fly across the internet. Um, and, and that's, you know, even in this day and age, that's still a, a ton of data. Um, and so your, your, your host may get a little upset about that. As far as learning about the recording and stuff, um, there's one button on, on this software. It's actually really awesome. It's a big giant red button that says record and you push it and it starts recording. Um, it does give you audio levels so you can kind of see how far to hold the mic away from your face. Um, I usually end up recording in my bed, in my um, living room because the acoustics in there are just fine for what I'm looking at. Um, and the, the software that I use on the, on the computer, um, it just shows the waveforms and you can um, kind of, the, the more I played with it over time, the more I realized that it's really straightforward. You can see, I can see when things are coming up that I'm going to want to cut. Like if I've got an uh or an um or a long pause, those things show up on the waveform and you can learn to kind of recognize those pretty easily. Um, and it's just, it's standard window stuff. You highlight it, you cut it and it goes away and it will snip the two pieces back together cleanly. Um, I guess probably the hardest thing that I did for this was the, the music. I actually composed the music myself and I say composed very loosely. I use that term very loosely. I composed it in uh, GarageBand on my iPad and then uh, sent it to myself by an email and, and opened it on the, on the PC to, to put it into the podcast. Cool, cool. Um, well, I know you have you, you, you have a topic that we're going to talk about, and, and we're going to try this and, and see if it works. <laughs> see, see if this discussion yeah. works here. Uh, so, uh, what do we take? We'll take like a thirty second break here, and uh, uh, then we'll get into this uh, topic here, this mystery topic that uh, Jerry has here for us. It's going to be a good topic. <laughs> so, uh, so let me take a little bit of a break here, and let me catch my breath and uh, get my little beverage here, and we'll be right back on the Feeling Medicine Rocks podcast with Dr. Jerry Tolbert. We'll be right back. We're at the unofficial podcast of the Family Medicine Revolution. This is the Family Medicine Rocks podcast on a Sunday night here with uh, Dr. Jerry Tolbert. And uh, there's a uh, Facebook page for his practice here, which we'll get into in a little bit, uh, facebook.com slash physicians, which is uh, very cool. And it looks like you have uh, some of your podcast links there. I know you have a feed burner uh, link there, and uh, that's probably the best way other than going into iTunes and doing a search uh, so, so Jerry, you have a you have an article for us tonight, and uh, we'll we'll try to have a little bit of discussion on it. Uh, what 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 do you have for us there tonight, Jerry? So, this article actually came out of Nature Science. Um, I, when you asked me to to do the podcast, this was just something that um, one of the things I've been kicking around with my podcast is you know adding other people in, or you know because I, I wonder sometimes if people get tired of hearing me talk, um, and that's just that's just kind of my own. Um, I'm always afraid to be too uh, full of myself. And so um, one of the things that um, that I was interested in was these, some of these articles that I've been reading about tech things that are happening in medicine that are that may be further down the line. They may be, you know, just the beginnings of something and uh, that, that could be potentially, you know, groundbreaking. And uh, this article out of Nature Science is one of those. Uh, essentially, a group of scientists is working on using functional MRI or functional magnetic resonance imaging to look at brain patterns um, when people are, are 
they, they, the first round of, of testing, they looked at these brain patterns on the fMRI when people were looking at a, a picture that had multiple different orientations, meaning it was you know, turned 90 degrees to one direction or 90 degrees to the other, and they could see a distinct pattern on the functional MRI based on which direction things were turned. And then what they did was they were trying to train people in their own minds to envision you know, this picture in one direction or another. And just by um, imagining what, the, what, they, what they would be seeing from that direction, and then they were using that to create a visual thing, that, a visual uh, stimulus that they could present to them that would in turn train them to always respond uh, in one specific direction uh, without seeing the original image. And so the, that, that sounds kind of convoluted, but the, um, the, the end result and the, the, the overreaching kind of um, process here is that what they essentially could do is, uh, you know, what, what classically may have been called subliminal programming. So they can just show this sort of jumbled image that will train your brain to, to respond in certain ways. And they figured out that it's not just visual cortex that can do this. They can do it with the, with the, the, um, uh, the muscle areas, the muscle memory areas that, and the areas that are involved in kinesthetics and stuff. So, so essentially what they could do is they could show you these jumbled images when this is taken out to its final eventual end and potentially have you learn something just by watching these jumbled images. Huh. So, 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 so you get, so you, they show, they showed the subject, a jumbled image and they took like an MRI, like a functional MRI and, and, and the, the, the subject is, is essentially trying to, to learn something in, ingrained in their brain. Is, is, is that kind of the, the essence right. of the study? Right. They're essentially programming certain areas of the brain. What they want is for this, the stimulus to cause the same activation of those areas that they see on the functional MRI when they're doing something, but when they're in a, in a, a steady state, meaning that they're, you know, they may want them to uh, get better at, in this case, you know, and what they did, the limited study that they did was based on uh, just creating a, an, an image of a, of a circle with a line through it, essentially. Um, and they were able to use a, a, a jumbled image that triggered the same uh, MRI, fMRI readings to activate those same regions of the brain. And so they could, they could get better at, say, projecting an image or seeing an image that was 90 degrees to one side or 90 degrees to the other based on how they, how they showed these images. Essentially, um, you know, th this is one of those things where it's in its very infancy, but what the potential here is is for things like um, if you've ever watched Chuck, which is an NBC kind of show, it's an hour-long kind of program about a guy who um, they, they used com uh, this series of flashing images, and it essentially put a, a bunch of information in his brain. And in the most recent season, or I guess the season before, they, it actually caused, it allowed him to be able to, uh, like uh, Matrix kind of stuff, like learning Kung Fu kind of stuff. Hmm. Wow, that's and kind so of what, interesting. Right, and so this technology so, so they, is actually so, so they learned specific actions, or what, what did right. they learn when they saw this jumble type images? Did it say in the in, study? In, yeah, in this study, what they were really doing was proof of concept, was showing that they could show somebody a jumbled image, and it would trigger the same fMRI, um, same regions of the brain to fire, um, which doesn't always lead to a true um, action, but in this case. Um, it did show that they could make those regions fire without doing the exact action that they were trying to do. It, see, it's hard to say, explain this stuff when you're just talking about it. That's why I wanted somebody to bounce it off of. But so they showed them this jumbled image, and by showing them the jumbled image, let's say that jumbled image represented 90 degrees to the right, 
every time that people would try to think of the 90 degrees to the right, they could do it successfully and activate those regions that were activated on the fMRI when they were shown the image that was rotated 90 degrees to the right. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So, so, so as so you were reading this and, and kind of ha as you were trying to, to see what the long-term uh, applications of this would be, what, what, what came to your mind um, as far as, you know, what, what could this be used for, you know, I'm presuming for patients or, you know, in, in a treatment type setting? Uh, there are a couple of different things that are very intriguing. What, number one would be, you know, rehabilitation. You know, could you do rehab without um, a lot of the initial, let's say you had never done a certain motion before and you're trying to learn how to do that motion for rehab purposes. Could they put you in front of a screen or put a, you know, set of goggles on you and have you run through it, um, excuse me, just while resting and then have you perform the action, and, and you, would you be able to do the action better because you've now entrained that muscle memory um, into the at least on the on the on a, uh, a cortical level? So the, the the part of the brain that's learning that um, at least has that, and so you've got a framework to build on. The other thing that I thought was interesting was it could be used for education purposes. Um, you know, the old joke was you know they used to flash pictures of popcorn at the movies so that you would see that image and it would you know imprint on your brain that you needed to go get popcorn, but you know, think about this. If you're, you know, you're in medical school and, and you're trying to learn, um, uh, let's say you're trying to learn all of the bones of the foot, um, you could potentially be doing something else and have these images that are, you know, flashing in front of your face, um, watching those images, and it would allow that information to be transferred. And essentially, what what could come out of this, if it's proven to be effective, the way that the scientists that did the study think it will be. Um, it, it could mean a whole new way of learning things because you could just look at this pattern or this, these induced images, and it would uh, it would transfer that information directly into the cortex. Hmm. And, and was was it just a, a, a flash of an image, or, or was it an image that was there for a few minutes for for the for the person to kind of focus on and concentrate on? Uh, it was actually. Uh, the flashes of the images were, were the way that this was described. The, the setup in the article described sort of a um, – they, they did this preliminary study, and then they did the secondary study. The preliminary study was just to see the proof of concept. The secondary study was to see if they could um, actually um, do something with it. And it, it, the data that it had, had were still being processed. That wasn't, that wasn't a part of the final article. Um, but uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of where that comes out because um, – the, the key here is, you know, functional magnetic resonance imaging looks at blood flow. That's what it's for. And so if you're increasing blood flow to an area of the brain, that means that you're actively utilizing that part of the brain. And so that's what they were really looking at. Um, you know, there have been the, – the thing is, is that this is sort of one of those holy grails of education or holy grails of technology in that everybody's always looking for an easy way to transfer information directly into the brain. And uh, this wasn't like that it wasn't like you're staring at the dots and then all of a sudden you see a picture of somebody's face. It wasn't that kind of thing. It's more that this jumbled image actually increases the blood flow to the right areas of the brain um, as compared to these other activities. Um, and so the, the fMRIs are identical, but you're looking at two different things. Yeah, that's interesting about the, the, what that kind of uh, uh, flash in my head when I, when I was hearing you describe this um, was a book by uh, Malcolm Gladwell. It was uh, called Blink. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh -huh. um, yeah. okay. Where uh, 
where people, you know, in, in certain situations, they're, they're, they're not only seeing a situation, they're also processing it at a blink of an eye. That's where the, the name of the book comes from. Right. Uh, and and uh, it sounds like a similar type concept, and I definitely agree with you when it comes to the potential implications um, uh, or uses of this uh, in the educational setting and things like a rehab setting. Um, and, and the other thing that comes to my mind is like you know you, you see all these kind of uh, uh, QR codes out there now. I wonder if sure. it could be used like as a marketing type of thing for for people trying to get their products out there. Like I guess the applications for this could be endless. They could, and the, and the the negative applications for this could be really. I mean, you think about it. How many times are you watching television, not paying attention to what's on the screen, but you're actually looking at it? Um, you know, it, that true subliminal programming is something that could be potentially a part of this, and that's the scary side of this, is that, you know, if this is found to be accurate and, and actually works, which I don't know, you know, again, this, the science is still very, very, I mean, this is the first study that's ever even looked at this. Um, the, the idea here is that you know, this could be, you know, a game changer. It could make, um, could make learning things, the, uh, you know, all a matter of just staring at a screen or staring at a, some images for a few minutes and you could have, you know, tons of information at your fingertips. And that's, you know, again, that could be really, really scary. I mean, if somebody wants to say, you know, kind of like a Manchurian candidate kind of stuff, you know, if we want to subliminally have somebody that knows how to uh, use a, a high-powered rifle to take out uh, targets, uh, you know, you could have eight people that, you know, that have never seen or heard the person that programmed them to do those things being programmed to do them. And, and hopefully – you know, one of the things is that conscious thought is still a big part of this, and you still have to be able to to utilize that information. And if it's on a subconscious level, that may not be possible. So I don't know. I, mean, there's, I just thought it was interesting that, that they're even thinking about this kind of stuff, um, you know, from that standpoint and actually doing something that shows that it may, in fact, be possible. Um, and I think there there is some data out there, especially marketing data, when it, when it comes to you know, even children, you know, when, when it comes to uh, marketing activity, when it comes uh, to, um, you know, putting, you know, whatever Disney character up there or trying to get them into brand recognition early um, uh, to get them roped into the brand or something like that. Uh, I, I do see some. Uh, some things now that that maybe could be you know similar to to what uh, to what this article is talking about. So uh, uh, we'll definitely have to see kind of how things uh, um, uh, develop here. It's interesting that the uh, the addition of the functional uh, uh, MRI to this whole thing and, and how I don't even know what all that stuff means, but I do know that you know you can see some activity in the brain in different parts of the brain, you know, using that real-time functional MRI, and that is just fascinating technology. Well, I have to call me. Is that okay? Yeah. Oh, I gotta test you. You're still there. Hello. Hey, I'm here, Mike. Sorry. Um, I got got uh, waylaid there. Apologize. Um. So, um, yeah, no, you're exactly right. There is, there's a huge um, – marketing is, is a big part of this, and if we're not careful, it could potentially blow up in our faces. And, and um, you know, adding the fMRI, like you said, is, is, a, is a new way of looking at how the brain is actually processing this information. But the interesting thing about the fMRI is that they're actually using it to determine how they create these, um, you know, learning tools that they're creating. So it's, it's becoming um, more about – you know, does form follow function 
You know, if we can make the brain fire in a certain way, does that mean that you're actually learning something? Or is it just those neurons firing? And so there's a huge, you know, this is more than just, uh, you know, subliminal teaching or however you want to say it. This is, you know, this is actually neuroscience that they're doing here that's determining, you know, what could be going on in the future. Um, all right. Yeah, that, 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 that's a pretty good topic. I, I, I like that. Uh, I, I know we kind of talked offline, you know, about, uh, uh, you know, maybe doing something like this on, on your podcast or you coming back here every once in a while to talk some uh, some news stories or articles and things. And I think that worked out pretty well. Um, I don't, do, do you have another few minutes to, to chat or do you have to go or? Uh, no, I can hang out. I um, I actually can, can hang out as long as you want. I'm uh, just kind of chilling at this point. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, so why don't we take another quick break here, and uh, we'll, we'll uh, talk about some of the uh, uh, the uh, top health topics of uh, 2011 when it comes to doctors. I sent you a link on that. I know you probably took a look at it. Um, some of the things that we'll talk about right after the break here um, are, uh, this is uh, from WebMD, uh, the top doctor topics of uh, 2011. So uh, let me take a quick look at this. We'll take another break here. We'll be back here with Dr. Jerry Tolbert, uh, host uh, of the uh, podcast, Here's to Your Health. Um, also, can uh, uh, check out his practice here on Total Access Physicians on uh, Facebook. So uh, we'll be right back here on the Family Medicine Rocks podcast here on a Sunday night on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be right back. Social media through the eyes of a family physician. This is the Family Medicine Rocks podcast on a uh, Sunday night here. And uh, we're on here with uh, Dr. Jerry Tolbert, and uh, thanks for hanging out here for a little bit. And uh, we'll talk about, yeah, just, just some stories here from uh, uh, from the uh, from the past year here. And uh, I'm looking at this article here, and from uh, WebMD. Uh, think, uh, what I'm going to uh, pick out first here is, uh, you know, we, we always talk about uh, cell phones here, and I'm just going to read this from straight <laughs> from the article, then we can talk about it. Uh, the World Health Organization says uh, cell phones may cause cancer, and uh, they uh, stirred controversy when it announced uh, in May that radiation from cell phones may cause cancer. The announcement was based on an extensive review of studies on cell phone safety by a group of 31 scientists from 14 countries, they met regularly to evaluate the potential hazards from exposure to uh, radio frequency electromagnetic fields. They also reported that younger users had higher risk. The controversy continued when in a different study uh, published on July 27 uh, of the Journal of the National Cancer Institute found that children and adolescents who use uh, cell phones do not appear to have a higher risk of brain cancer uh, critics uh, later lambasted authors' interpretation of the data, uh, which they said actually showed a risk of cancer in this population. Another study published online October 20th, BMJ, drew a, uh, a similarly fierce critique from the organization uh, electromagnetichealth.org. 
so I mean this 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 thing with uh, with cell phones over the past few years has just been you know really going back and forth and it's just really confusing for patients you know and for the general public um, as far as do they cause cancer do they not cause cancer um, I you know what I'm recommending to patients now is that we just don't really know you know and and uh, it's it's, it's uh, you know I I don't really see any a lot of good data one way or the other I mean I'm I'm leaning towards no that it's not really Know, causing you know cancer, we don't have the data at this point. Um, Jerry, do you have any thoughts on this, or, or just this controversy in general? Um, well, yeah, I, <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, but to, to sum it all up, essentially, there is a lot of good data. The problem is, is that it doesn't tell us anything. Um, there's a ton of data, so I guess saying calling it good data is probably a bad idea. But there's a ton of data out there. The, the epidemiologist in me likes to look at these things. The problem is is that we are bombarded by electromagnetic radiation from multiple sources that cannot be controlled for. And it's different, uh, you know, for different people. And so you may um, do 10 studies, and one shows a significant difference, and one shows no significant difference. And if you do 10 of them, and they're split down the middle, which is what seems to be happening with these studies, excuse me, even if you do a meta-analysis, the chances are that there's still going to be some you know, random chance that forces all these things toward the middle. And that's kind of what you see happening. It's like, you know, they do, they don't, they do, they don't, they do, they don't. So I, I really, I, I really tell patients not to worry about it too much. Um, if your cell phone, um, you know, which is using non-ionizing radiation, um, is going to cause brain cancer, then so is, you know, watching your television from five feet away and how many of us as kids did that for, you know, who knows how long. <laughs> uh yeah and it's it's all those video games too there jerry that just you yeah know, that causing causing so much you know forget about obesity it's going to cause cancer right well and that's that's really to me i'll be honest with you that's the thing that i always laugh at is that you know they, yeah they do they they yell about obesity and those kinds of things which is good i mean we need to be really talking about that but you know it's it's like they want um they they want everything to be dangerous uh, you know, at some point or another. And so, you know, eventually everything is going to be, oh, well, it causes cancer or, oh, no, it doesn't cause cancer. I mean, look at coffee. This wasn't in your article, but I had read an article just earlier in the day. That's what made me think of it, um, that coffee causes cancer, but then coffee does prevent some types of cancer. And it's like, you know what, you're, I think we're jumping to all these conclusions that, that you know, aren't necessarily following the data. So I don't know. Um, I'm going to uh, pull out one more of these uh, stories here uh, real quick. And uh, uh, especially for physicians, um, the, the title of this section is called the FDA Calls for Simvastatin Limits. I'll read this here. The FDA played a role uh, in most of this year's top news stories, starting with uh, a June 8 recommendation that doctors restrict prescribing the high-dose cholesterol medication Simvastatin. Um, also known as Zocor, because of uh, risk of muscle damage. The FDA says doctors should limit using the 80-milligram dose of simvastatin unless uh, the patient has already been taking the drug for 12 months and there's no evidence of muscle damage. And now this has had a huge impact on a lot of my patients um, as far as getting these letters, not only uh, from the FDA, but from the insurance companies and patients being very confused and and trying to find alternatives, and we're still trying to work through that because a lot of my patients get their refills, you know, 90 days at a time, and they're getting these letters and, and a lot of education 
Uh, just been a real, real headache uh, for me and my patients. I, I don't know if it, Jerry, have you seen that with your patients? And 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 you know, how are you trying to communicate this information to your patients? Um, yeah, I, I had a few patients actually back when all this kind of came out. Um, we we had because we have an EMR, we can go through very quickly and see who's taking what medicine. And so we actually did that. We did a survey of our EMR, uh, pulled out the data, did a query that said. You know, you have X number of patients. Each physician got one that said you have X number of patients on Zocor, excuse me, Simvastatin, whatever, 80 milligrams. Um, and, you know, because of the recent FDA warning, we, you know, this was the thing we sent out or gave to all the docs. This is because of the FDA warning, you um, uh, need to change their medication, whether that's decreasing the dose back to, you know, for the recommended 40 milligrams or changing to another medication altogether. And uh, so that was that was kind of how we handled it. And we didn't have a whole lot of people asking. We had a, I had a couple, um, but um, I honestly don't use that much simvastatin uh, as far as 80 milligrams. I usually stick to the 40 milligram dose um, just because I can usually usually get decent success out of it. Um, the the if people are going to have the muscle damage, most of them are at least going to have some aches and pains with that 40, uh, even if they don't have the full blown damage that you get with the 80. And so. Um, most of the time, I'm changing them to something else before that point. All right. Uh, on the line of the list, we have uh, Dr. Jerry Tolbert uh, from uh, Northern Kentucky, and uh, you work at a place called uh, Total Access Physicians in Burlington, Kentucky. Um, what did you tell us a little bit about? And I know we talked a little bit about the show before, but uh, uh, tell me a little bit about you know how did you end up there from residency? Tell me a little bit of, about your practice setup and. Uh, um, I know that you are probably the social media presence uh, for your practice, but tell me a little bit about the uh, social media presence that you have uh, for the uh, for the business there, Jerry. Uh, okay, so uh, I actually grew up here in northern Kentucky. I um, um, live across the river from Cincinnati and have, have lived here pretty much all my life, except for the time that I spent in residency. Went down to South Carolina to a program uh, in uh, Greenwood, South Carolina. Great uh, family medicine program top-notch folks, and uh, it was just a great place to train. I, I feel like I am prepared to, to tackle just about anything that family medicine can throw at me, um, which is a lot. Um, and so about two years ago, my dad, who is also a family physician, um, who for a long time practiced in this area in a, in a, in a group practice, um, he uh, kind of came to me and said, you know what, we need to we need to practice together, and I really want to do something different. And I had been kicking around different practice models uh, for a long time, uh, even while I was in med school, you know, I knew I wanted to do family medicine and I was really, um, you know, it, we could go on and on about all of the different payment issues and the Medicare stuff that you talked about at the top of the show. And, uh, that stuff was the stuff I was trying to avoid. And so, um, we came up with this idea, um, kind of a modified version of, of, you know, what people would call potentially like a concierge practice. It's, it's actually uh, the buzzword that's uh, floating around right now is something called direct medicine, which is just a, a fancy way of saying that you pay me a fee, a monthly fee, and you get all of your primary care that we provide. So there are some limited lab stuff that we do and, and uh, all of your primary care visits. If you go to the hospital, we see you at the hospital. Uh, it's all part of that 75. There's no extra fees for anything um, other than the, those, some of those labs that we provide. They might be 2 to $3 because we're just giving them to you at cost. What the lab charges us, that's what we charge you. Um, and uh, any of the procedural stuff that you have done, anything that, that is office-related or that we can take care of, it's all covered under that $75 a month. And so um, for most people, uh, that 
um, would cover 90% of what they deal with, um, you know, unless they're seeing a lot of specialists, in which case that's a different uh, arena. No matter which, um, you know, which umbrella you fall under, it's still something that it, you a high deductible insurance plan is probably the best thing to, to have at that point because you have, some, you have to have something to cover the hospital costs themselves, uh, even though you don't have a doctor fee. Uh, that's only a small part of what the hospital charge is. Um, and then uh, for any specialists that you see, anybody who's not us, um, you still have to have something to cover that, So, uh, as well as like prescription plans and stuff like that, even though we use a lot of the, the $4 formularies and the $3 formularies and the special formularies just to save people money. Um, there are a lot of good drugs that have been around for a long time that are really good at what they do, um, and you don't have to have that newest best drug because if you look at a lot of the newest best drugs from the last 10 years, they've either been pulled off the market or they're, you know, people, they're a huge black box warning saying this will cause you to die. So, um, so again, we're really essentially what we're trying to do is put some of the, the cost um, um, containment measures that Medicare really is, you know, has been trying to gun for for all these years. We want to put those in place. Um, we want to give a patient centered medical home. We want our, you know, when you call the office to see your physician, you see, you know, if I'm your doctor, you see me. If I'm your doctor, you talk to me. Um, I have the time and the inclination to answer your questions directly. You're not going through three layers of people. You're not listening to, you know, listening to the music, then talking to a receptionist, then getting transferred to a nurse. And then maybe if I come out of the room in time, you're going to talk to me. Um, you're either going to go straight to my voicemail, which is my personal line, or I'm going to answer the phone and I'm going to talk to you directly. And so, um, you know, the whole design is to put the personal relationship back into medicine, which is, you know, so much of what is missing and so much of what is causing this disgruntled patient kind of uh, problem that we have. So, so, so is it so that, that, that these are patients who who are on traditional insurance insurance already, or how 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 do you how does that work? We're in the recruiting phases, so some of them are. Uh, some of the people that have expressed interest that want to that want to join the practice are on traditional insurance. Um, some of them have the cafeteria plans at work and can go to a high deductible plan, which is what we recommend. High deductible plan qualifies you for a health savings account, and you can use your health savings account to pay for these kinds of expenses. So it's pre-tax money that you can put down and say, you know, you're $75 a month that's coming out of your health savings account. Um, so you actually are saving money in the long run on two fronts. Um, but you can't really submit these claims. Most insurances won't pay for this extra fee, even if it is essentially less or, or just slightly more than what some people are paying in co-pays. Um, so we have a few people that are uninsured that don't have any insurance at all, and they just want primary care. They want to make sure they've got somebody to go to if they've got, you know, minor health care problems. Excuse me. And so it's, it's, a, it's kind of a mishmash right now. Uh, for the first year, we are actually doing something called non-participation with Medicare. Uh, we're not we, – we, the way it works, essentially, you pay – if you have Medicare, you come in, you pay uh, up front uh, a, on a fee schedule that Medicare set, um, and then we submit the claim to Medicare, and Medicare reimburses you directly. Um, our goal they, is uh, they, they, they pay up front for like the visit fee and they right. pay up front for lab work. Is that how it works? Right. For, for Medicare, yeah. For Medicare, they have to, in order for us to see Medicare patients, we have to charge them based on Medicare schedule. We can't use our, our standard $75 a month. Medicare will, would, would destroy us. They would come in and, and take all of our money and, and, and uh, cite us for fraud if we just charge the $75 a month. And so what we have to do as far as Medicare, if we want to use it at all, is we have to charge based on their fee schedule, which sets the fee schedule for um, for office visits. 
they have a fee schedule for labs, which actually uh, most labs use the Medicare fee schedule to determine what they're going to charge anyway. And so uh, that's part of that bundle too. Um, and but essentially, what we're we're focusing on mainly is the is the office visit. And so the the patients pay up front for the office visit, and then they get reimbursed um, based on that fee schedule. They get reimbursed for the almost the full amount. I think it's like ninety five percent of the of what we pay, what we charge, they get back from Medicare itself. So, so what if the patient needs a more complicated workup, x-rays, CAT scans, that type of thing? How, how does that work then? Those, right now, we don't have a facility for that. That's something that, if this takes off, that's one of the first things that we're going to invest in, not CAT scan, but x-ray machine. Digital x-ray machines are, are a lot less expensive, a lot less overhead than the old x-ray machines used to be. And so, um, that's one of the first things that we're that's on our our global plan if this is successful. Um, the 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 bottom line answer to that though is in, initially people are going to have to have something to cover that. And so if they've got a high deductible plan, they may be paying out of pocket or out of the health savings account initially. Um, but once you meet that deductible, then the insurance is, is the way that you have to do that. Or if it's if you're cash pay, then you'd be paying out of pocket for those things. Um, the the honest truth is is that that unless it's something pretty significant that they're going to be in the hospital for anyway. Um, most people, you know, honestly, if you come right down to it, um, there's a lot of overutilization of those services just because people have insurance and we can charge them for it. Um, I'll be honest with you. I don't do, I even, even when I was dealing with regular insurance, this, you know, as a, as a resident, I don't do a lot of CT scans if I don't have to. I don't do a lot of x-rays if I don't have to. Now, there's some cases where you need to. Um, and, again, that's, that's another thing that we're really working on. We're trying to contract. We've already contracted with the lab to get, you know, a set of labs um, that cover a lot of the things that you would need, uh, even with an in-depth workup, uh, at cost. And so, you know, instead of being $30 for a complete blood count, it's $3. Um, and so, you know, the hospital charges you 30 to $50 for that when you go in. Um, and so what we're doing is just doing that at cost. We we would front the money to the lab to have the test done, and then the, the bill, uh, you know, is, is part of the, uh, the bill from the lab to the patient, So, or to us from the patient. Now, I know that uh, some, some offices even now, not even in, in any kind of uh, direct medicine uh, uh, model, I mean, it's, I know some offices that have a pharmacy in their office and they dispense. Do you guys have that? Is that on your roadmap right now to, to, to have that service for your patients or not? Honestly, it's not on the roadmap. Uh, you know, it's an interesting question, and it's even more interesting based on the fact that, you know, my wife is actually a pharmacist. Um, so um, it's something that we could potentially do pretty easily if we had to. Um, but to, to be honest, there's just so many legalities that go along with that that I, I'm almost uncomfortable doing that. And it's, it's, it's feasible to do it, but honestly, with the advent of this $4 formulary, when Walmart broke that barrier down um, and so many people started following suit, and creating these, you know, inexpensive formularies for medications, you almost the things that you would be able to stock anyway are things that are going to be four dollars if they go to to say Walmart or Walgreens has their card and 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 um, the Ingalls grocery store has their card and, and Kmart has their five dollar list and I mean and so everybody's got you know you can find somebody that's got a equivalent medication on one of their lists if you look hard enough. Now there are I mean, there are a lot of critics out there of this model, um, and, and a lot of them say that that uh, you know this type of model kind of cherry picks you know the more healthy patients 
the patients that are not complicated, um, and then that, that leaves kind of the patients that are complicated to the doctors out there who are you know, a more traditional uh, type of uh, you know medical model. Um, how, how do you respond to to, to those critics that, that say that? I'll be honest with you. I think this is a self-selection kind of thing. You know, it's just like just like the people that want to get in and get their prescription and get back out and don't want to deal with the doctor and don't want to learn about what's going on and don't care if, you know, what they have is viral and they just want an antibiotic. They want to fix it. Those people select a doctor that's going to do that for them. And I think this is the same kind of thing. I'll be honest with you. I don't see the market for healthy patients. If you if you want to really be honest and, and really this is one of the things that we struggle with, the people that are least likely to utilize services are the healthy people. So if they're paying $75 a month and they come see me once a year, they are really paying a lot more than they really need to, uh, just to be brutally honest. And so I, I, when people say that, I, you know, I kind of think that, that, that those are the patients. If I wanted to, I could cherry pick those patients. And, and there are some people that do that. You know, they, they, a lot of them charge, you know, we're charging $75 a month. Um, most people have a copay that's about $35. If you come to the doctor twice, you're you're almost there anyway, and that's just copay. You're also paying extra number in, in in insurance premiums, and so if you can decrease that insurance premium by taking a high deductible plan, you know you may be saving money in the long run. But if you've got a lot of problems, what we're also offering is you know a lot of time because we are going to limit the number of patients we accept. You know it, which is happening everywhere, even in 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 traditional medical practices, they're limiting the number of patients they accept because doctors aren't able to keep up with. Um, you know, more than 30 patients in a day. I mean, that's that's a lot. That's less than 10 minutes per patient if you're really if you're going to eat lunch. And so, um, you know, the the key here is that I can say, you know, what if you need an appointment at 2 a.m. or if you need somebody to talk to talk to you at 2 a.m. about a problem, you're talking directly to your doctor. If you come in at 2 p.m. and say, hey, I need to see the doctor, I'm going to be there and I'm going to be available to see you. Um, and it may you may have to wait 10 minutes, um, but you're never going to have to wait more than than a few minutes. Um, in most cases, for something that to be taken care of. Now, that may not mean that you get an appointment or an office visit that very second, but we're at least going to, you know, get the process rolling. And it may be that you, what you have doesn't need an office visit, and I can handle it over, you know, the phone. Or you know, the great thing about this other, you know, this this model is that if you have a lot of chronic problems, I'm not going to have you have to come back in every two months or every month so that I can review your numbers and look at things and get paid for it. You know, that's the problem with this model that we have now is that in order to get paid to do things, you have to have an office visit. Almost, uh, I mean, it's not 100%, but it's pretty close. Um, there are very few things that you can do without an office visit that you're going to get paid for. And so most physicians just don't do them, um, or they make you have an office visit. And in this model, we just don't have to have that. And so I can take care of very complicated patients without having to have office visits. If I want to, I can have an office visit every month. But if that patient is very well controlled and they're doing well and they are willing to communicate that information to me by some means, whether it's electronic means or just over the phone or, or you, know, um, you know, however they want to. If they want to send smoke signals, I'm, I'm good with that. It's just it's a chance to, to put that relationship back in. And I'm going to know these people. I'm going to be contracting with them directly to say, you know, I'm taking care of you. I'm invested in your health just as much as you are. I want you to be well. Um, so I, I just don't see that that is a problem. I, the, the one thing I do agree with is that we are limiting the number of patients we're going to see. But, you know, 900 patients is probably, compared to some of the family physician groups around here, that's probably about two-thirds of what they see, what each physician sees. And so, you know, if each of us is seeing 900 patients, that's 1,800 because it's, it's my father and I. Um, so 1,800 patients in our practice. 
I know of some private practices that have four doctors that barely have more than, you know, you know, 6,000. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're probably half to, to two thirds of, of what some of these, these big practices actually have. Now, um, uh, uh, specifically about your market down there, um, are, are there a lot of, um, has there been infiltration of, of, uh, of these, you know, like minute clinic type of uh, situations, you know, with with nurse practitioners or physicians assistants going into places like CVS or, you know, there was a talk of Walmart a few weeks ago um, of having these type of clinics, you know, in, in your market there, and, and do you see them, uh, you know, in, in competition with with your model, what you're trying to do, or not really? Walgreens does that. Um, I'll be honest with you, I see them more in competition with urgent care than I do with us. Um, those those kinds of clinics are are really designed for people who have a problem that they want to get fixed quickly. Hence the name Minute Clinic. Um, and so I, I could see if if there was an inpatient person trying to get in to see their physician and couldn't. And this you know in our model, in what we're doing, that should never be an issue. You should always be able to see or at least speak with your physician directly and address the issue uh, you know promptly. That's our goal. That is what we are sort of centered around. Uh, in fact. Um, and so I, it's not as much competition with us as it is with, you know, with say like urgent care, but um, they're here and they're somewhat functional. Uh, you know, I, I can't speak exactly to them because I've never, I, I mean, I've, I drive by them. I see patients that use them, but I've never used one myself. So I don't know kind of what they're, what they're specifically doing, but right. um, you know, working urgent care, which is what I'm doing right now. Like I said, I'm, I'm kind of moonlighting in urgent care. Um, I still see that same kind of patient. And so I think my family medicine allows me, my family medicine training allows me to do a, a better job than than some of those other clinics do because I still have patients that come in and demand antibiotics for a viral infection, and so I've been a, I've been a a whirlwind here these last few weeks of of education and training and and you know I've only had I'll, I'll be honest I think I've only had probably one person who was upset that I wouldn't give them an antibiotic everybody after I everybody else after I went through my education talked about over the counter um, you know specific. Uh, symptom relief things, they were fine with that. They they were actually glad that they didn't have to take antibiotics because they always, you know, there's so many random side effects and other stuff that go along with them. So, I, now, you, you know, I think, go ahead. No, no, go. Yeah, finish your thought there. I was just going to say, I think, I think there's a, there's, there's a niche for everybody in this market. You know, healthcare is one of those things where there are patients of every type. Just you know, there is just as many types of people as there are. There are that many pe- types of patients because that's what a patient is. It's a person. And so, these people are going to gravitate toward what they like. If you want somebody to just, you know, if you have a diagnosis going in and you know what you have or you think you know what you have and you want something to fix it but you don't have the credentials to prescribe it for yourself, then you're going to go see somebody who's just going to throw it at you and, and not even think about, you know, what, what the actual problem is uh, versus going to see somebody who's actually going to talk to you about it and, and do some education, you know, on a level of, um, you know, that that may you may not get from from a minute clinic. Now um, you talked a little bit about electronic communication with your patients. That, that does your does your practice there um, have that kind of setup with your patients uh, to electronically communicate? And, and if you do, what is that? Um, what well, we do, we're, we use an encrypted. We've got an encrypted email set up right now, and and we can do that. What we're our goal is our software we're using. We're using the Hippocrates EMR, and uh, it's designed for small practices. It's it's a uh, web based, and so. Uh, we don't have any um, software on our actual computers. It's all in, in the cloud, as they say. Um, excuse me, but the, the the great thing about it is that 
their on their roadmap. They don't have it active yet, but on their roadmap is to develop a patient portal, and that's one of the things that we're we're banking on down the road. Um, we also um, each patient that signs up for our service gets a different business card than the standard advertising business card that we hand out. That business card, depending on which physician they sign up with, has their private um, cell number. I've got a secondary cell number that rings directly to my cell phone. That's not my not my private number, but it's a number that rings directly to my cell phone, and I answer it just like I would my regular cell phone. It's just I know that it's a patient calling because it comes through on the, the doctor line, um, and um, they have access to you know that through that number they can send text messages, they can send uh, picture texts, and that kind of stuff. So let's say that you uh, you got a rash on your ankle and you want to know if it's something that needs to be seen or if it's just you know run of the mill kind of problem. I can look at it and triage it and say you know what that probably need you probably need to at least let me take a look at it in person um, or you know if that gets worse then I need to see it. But for right now try this. You know I can do a lot of things with electronic media that you know essentially as long as you're you're sending it as part of a contractual agreement um, you know. And, 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 you know, you have to have certain um, fail-safes and locks and stuff on your phone. But uh, you can be HIPAA compliant and still do those things, and that's what we've kind of got set up right now. Um, so do, do you go to the hospital? Do you do inpatient work as well, or, or do you leave that to hospitalists, or how does that work? Um, I will be doing inpatient work. Um, I, I just got my credentials for the hospital system here, which is sort of the only hospital system in town. But um, I got my credentials for them a couple of weeks ago, and um, so – uh, once everything goes full-blown live on January 15th, um, that's when our practice will go full-blown live. Right now we're kind of, like I said, waiting on construction and some other things. But um, that will be, you know, when my patients go to the hospital, I will see them in the hospital. Um, if uh, they want somebody to talk to them about specialist visits after the specialist visit or, if I, you know, if I have to have conferences with the specialist directly, um, if they want somebody to follow them wherever they're going. Um, you know, one of the goals that we have is that we can potentially eliminate some of the waits for things. Um, you know, if you go to the ER and there's something specific you need done, um, you know, the ER doctors are going to know, and we've already talked to them about this, and we're, we're kind of dialoguing with them on purpose. They'll know that if it's something that's going to take a, a while for the workup or if it's going to be something that you're, you're going to be admitted no matter what, they'll know to call us early so that we can kind of eliminate some of those wait times and lag times and get in earlier to do the admissions and say if um, if it was traditional kind of thing where they, you have to wait for the whole workup in the ER. And that's and that's something that even outside of the type of practice you can do as a, as a private physician. It was always harder as a resident because they just waited until everything was done early. Um, but, but yeah. So that that uh, that so that's seventy five dollar per month. That that just that just covers your that also covers your inpatient charge. I mean, it, that doesn't yeah. cover you know hospital tests and consultant fees and that type of thing in the hospital, does it? Right. It just covers the well, you know most physicians for an inpatient charge you're averaging about one hundred twenty dollars a day for your physician fee, depending on how they code it, but no less than eighty dollars a day for the physician to see you, and so. Um, that charge is the part that's going to be waived, but they'll still have the charges from the hospital itself and from any specialists that they see, uh, as well as for any tests. So, so that's again why most of our patients. What we're recommending is just that that high deductible plan, and we're we're actually working right now because of all these things that are changing. One of the things that's worked in our favor with the healthcare bill is that there are some that, you know eventually once these state markets open up for insurance, so people don't have to go through their employer, which I think is absurd, by the way. But we'll talk about that at a different time. Um, but just you know, the people can go through and get insurance, just like you get car insurance, they can get health insurance on their own. And uh, 
I think that's going to be a boon to us because what you can then do is say, you know what, you get a high deductible plan that's got a rider with a, you know, essentially what we call a catastrophic plan. If you have to go to the hospital or if something really horrible happens, you know, your deductible's up to $5,000 or $6,000 um, that you'll have to pay out of pocket. But after that point, it covers all the way up. And uh, that allows you to have the health savings account, which is money that you take out before taxes out of your check every month that you never really see anyway. Um, that goes into a, a savings account that you can spend, use to spend on health expenditures. And that's what we're um, encouraging our patients to do so that they can pay for some of these things, like if they have to go to the hospital. So how uh, how has the uh, – um, what kind of response have you gotten from the community? And, and are there other uh, practices or, or other businesses that are having the same model in your market right there where you're at? Uh, the response has been great, and if the if the actual number of people that sign up for the service are uh, is as large as the people that are like, oh, that's a great idea, then this is going to fly. We're going to be fine. <laughs> um, but because because everybody we explain this to thinks it's a phenomenal idea. They think you know most people say, oh, seventy five dollars a month. I mean, I pay more than that just for copays or or just to see the doctor or, or whatever. And so we've had a lot of people that are really seem interested, sincerely, genuinely interested in it. Um, as far as people signing up, we haven't really unlocked a lot of the stuff yet. We, a lot of it's just people that we know are former patients. You know, my dad's former patients that have been waiting for him to come back and that kind of stuff. Um, that's that's where a lot of our initial patient base has been because we don't have a facility right now um, that we can see patients easily. And so, um, so the response has been very good, but we'll see how that turns around on January 15 into actual numbers. As far as other people in the community, there is um, at least one group that I know of here in northern Kentucky. There are a couple in Cincinnati, but there's one group in, in northern Kentucky that does something similar. It's not the same, though. They actually still bill insurance. They still have regular fees, but then they charge an over uh, a fee over and above your standard billing um, to get all of the extra stuff that they do. Uh, the interesting thing about practices like that is that those extras, you have to be very specific with that because a lot of insurances um, get kind of – especially Medicare, get kind of miffed when you're charging for overage, overage uh, for things that they would technically cover. And so, um, in fact, with some of the Medicare changes in Medicare law, a lot of these uh, companies have had to kind of rethink their entire model uh, because they used to charge the extra because they would give you an executive physical once a year, which is an executive physical is essentially just a regular physical, but um, it has a pretty name. And uh, they'll add a few other things, some labs or maybe even a stress test on top of that, which is a, is a fairly substantial amount of, of money when you talk about like a stress test. But um, it, they, they still do that. But the problem is, is that Medicare now will pay for a once-a-year physical uh, for patients, and it's a standard physical. It's nothing fancy. But because they offer a standard physical, they won't pay for an executive physical. And so if you charge that um, overage fee, um, they get, they, they've gotten kind of perturbed with some of these groups. So, um, so those groups are, have actually started to kind of slowly decline a little bit in this area. And uh, I'm seeing more, actually more like the McDonald's model where they've got a board set up sort of a fee for services and you go in and you've got your, you know, your offices, it's cost $65. That's what the board says. And your, you, if you have a lab, it costs $3. And if you have, um, if we have to give you a shot, that's another $18 or whatever. And they've got their little board of prices, and you can look at the prices when you go in and pick a, you know, a C1 combo if you want and get everything done. Uh, my guest on the line here is uh, Dr. Jerry Tolbert from uh, Total Access Physicians in Burlington, Kentucky. You can uh, check him out on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Total Access uh, Physicians. And 
Uh, sorry for grilling you so much there, but I, I was just uh, I, I, I've been getting some uh, uh, some feedback here on on Twitter and uh, just uh, some interesting questions and, uh, um, and that was that was a pretty good segment there. I kind of like that. Uh, that was that was uh, that was pretty good. And, and I, I you know and I I presume that you know you've been you know just doing a lot of marketing and trying to explain the model and uh, trying to see you know what what, what uh, you know uh, you know what the services that you provide for the for the fee that you charge, and uh, you know certainly that is, uh, you know, on the cutting edge, and, and definitely you know looking for different models of of, of uh, healthcare out there because we do know that our current model is just awful, and it's people like you that are just, just out there just trying these different type of models uh, to see what's going to work. So, uh, and I know that you and I have been talking, you know, offline, uh, you know, over the past few years about you, you know, heading back home and, and trying, you know, different types of models of medicine. And, uh, this is very exciting. I know that, that you and I will continue, uh, talking about this, um, as it continues to evolve, but it seems like, you know, you've done a lot of planning up front and, uh, you, you've had some of this stuff well thought out. Yeah, and there was a whole lot of planning. Before we even got into this, I sat down and um, I created a spreadsheet that has slowly grown over the last three years. But it started out as just sort of a, a, a cost debit kind of kind of thing. It did all the calculations for you so you could modify numbers. And, and um, so you put in how many patients you're going to have and what you're going to charge them per patient, how many physicians are going to be part of the practice. And, and what it did was it kind of calculated, um, you know, income minus overhead and then did some some minor tax calculations and some other things. Excuse me, but essentially, by creating that early on, I was able to see that this was at least mathematically feasible. Whether it works or not is, is still to be seen, but at least it made sense from a mathematics standpoint. It wasn't that we were going to lose our shirts um, if we tried to do this. And so we really sat down and, and did a lot of that. We've got a company that's doing some of our – helping us with some of our, our – um, um, the financial aspects of the planning and, you know, we've got our lawyer that's on retainer that's helping us with all of our forms to make sure that they're ironclad so that we don't step on insurance company toes and that we don't step on, um, you know, that we have our, our clauses in our contracts that, you know, if the patient designs, you know what, for that $75 a month, you're not giving me near enough or that says, you know what, I want more than my $75 worth. Um, you know, we've got to have a clause in this contract that allows us to negotiate that. And that says, you know what, okay, if you don't think we're doing enough, that's fine. Um, you know, here's the the here's your money back less what you've actually utilized, and we're you know we're good. You have your 30 days, just like any terminating any contract with a physician. You know, the abandonment clause is 30 days, so you've got 30 days to, to either decide you want to stay with us or or you can um, go find another physician, and that's that's entirely up to you. And that's that's the part about making this a relationship is that I'm not going to kick you out just because you say that. I'm just going to say, you know what, I'm going to give you the option. You can nullify this contract. You don't have to stay with me. Uh, I would prefer it if you did. I want to take care of you, but if you don't, that's, that's uh, okay by me. Well, and I would presume from a financial standpoint, I mean, you'd kind of know pretty quickly, um, you know, six, nine, 12 months in, you know, as far as what the numbers go, as far as the financial situation goes, if it's if this thing's going to fly or not. But is, is is that what you've been told? Or I mean, if you don't, you don't have to say if you don't want to, but I mean, that, that, that's no, kind yeah, of my yeah. impression is that. You know, I mean, we really have, um, and, and actually, I'll, I'll be honest with you, that spreadsheet was was very telling. Um, our break-even point, if we use $900 a patient, which is, you know, we have a, there's a whole fee schedule that we've got set up. You know, there's a couple's rate, which is $120 a month, and then a family of four or more, which, again, 
in this area, there are a lot of Catholic families, nothing against Catholic families. I'm part of one, I, but they're big. Um, I'm the oldest of six, so I understand that. But, um, you know, four or more is our cutoff for family rate, and it's $150 a month. So we may shoot ourselves in the foot with that, but I don't think we're going to. But anyway, um, but if you use $900 a head as your, um, as your number, the mathematics of it works out pretty well. It's pretty round. It's nice. Um, it's $75 a month, but it also works out to be that 350 patients with the current overhead we have, 350 patients apiece, so 700 for the whole practice, is enough for us to actually make money. Um, and if you look at average patient panel for a physician, um, you know, average family physician right now has about 2,200 by some national numbers. So 2,200 patients is, seems like a lot, but when you talk to a regular doctor, they, they never realize they have that many patients on their census. Um, now the uh, the the, uh, the patient center medical home part. I mean, there's you know, there's the the whole financial part, which we 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 really you know talked about and discussed. Um, uh, what about the quality part, as far as you know, using your EMR and and knowing you know, are you are you going to have data to produce and say, hey, we are giving quality care, and here are our numbers to prove it. Uh, yes. That's the short answer. Uh, the EMR will track all of those things. There are some reporting tools that are sort of slowly coming out. For the, it's, a, it's a brand new EMR. It just came out this year. So um, it's it's having those same birth pangs that everybody does when they first come out it's in that, you know, all the features aren't live, and that's fine by me as long as they're on their way. Um, but, yes, there will be data that comes out of that. We're also keeping track of data from other sources uh, just on our own. Uh, you know, I have a background, um, I'm a few hours short of a master's in public health. Um, I have uh, with a focus in epidemiology. And so I'm, I'm a numbers guy by by just personal preference. And so I, I keep track of a lot of those those kinds of things anyway. Um, but the, the EMR does make that easier. So as far as reporting tools go, that'll be, be nice. Um, and, uh, you know, our goal is to say, you know, this is, we may not be sending out a questionnaire to do whatever those the company is that does all of those fancy questionnaires for the awards for patient satisfaction. Um, excuse me, that's not our goal. Our goal is to develop these relationships with patients and, and, and to have that play out in the fact that the patient wants to keep seeing us. You know, um, And so we're, we're going to do quality measures to make sure we're giving good care, uh, but we're also going to be trying to, to – the, the patient-centered medical home, at its heart, has that relationship between patient and physician, at, you know, as what its driving force should be, and uh, and, and I think that's kind of um, that's kind of where we fall out of this. Is that we want that to be the, the most important thing. I want when people say, uh, you know, who's your doctor? I want I want people to say Dr. Tolbert. Um, you know, and, and the convention right now, both of my dad and I are Dr. Tolbert, and we're both Dr. Jerry Tolbert. So the convention right now is Dr. G and Dr. J. And if people call me Dr. G, that's fine. But as long as they talk about me being their doctor, they don't say. Uh, total access physicians is my doctor, and they don't say, um, you know, such and such healthcare group or such and such physicians group is my doctor. No, I want them to say Dr. G is my doctor because that's that's what we've gotten away from, um, and I think that's where a lot of times people get really frustrated is that they don't have that personal aspect to their medical care. Um, and so, yeah, we are going to look at metrics and we are going to strive to make sure that our numbers are good, uh, that are that you know, we're following the the you know. Uh, USPSDF and all of their recommendations for, for screening, that we're doing all that stuff that we should. Uh, we're going we're gonna to watch that, and we're going to track that, and we're going to have that available for patients if they really want to see it. Um, but th that stuff is going to be, hopefully, as best as we can do it, behind the scenes. It's going to be the under-the-hood stuff that you don't always see, but that still makes the machine run. 
Uh, my guest here is uh, Dr. Jerry Tolbert uh, from Total Access Physicians. Uh, visit him on Facebook, uh, Total Access uh, Physicians, uh, facebook.com slash Total Access Physicians. We have about 10 minutes left here on the show, and uh, uh, we're going to switch gears here. Why don't we lighten things up? I'll stop grilling you on this deal. And uh, uh, I, I, a couple of <laughs> things that too, to, uh, to finish up the show here. Uh, you, you kept mentioning uh, that you're in practice with your father there. Uh, how, how's that going? Is that is that awkward or is that cool? Or like, what, what, what I mean, you've been there for, for a little bit now. Uh, tell me a little bit about that dynamic, not only working with him, but working with the staff and him, and, and uh, what, what, uh, how neat is that? Um, it, it is, well, I'll be honest with you, I left South Carolina mainly for that very reason, is because it, I, I really wanted to work with my dad. Um, my dad's patients respect him. He's always been sort of, uh, he's, not, he's not very old. Uh, he actually just, um, this coming year, will turn 50. Um, and so um, he, he's relatively young but they always think of him kind of like that that old country doc he's 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 a guy that's very personable and uh, you know he likes to talk a lot like i do and so when you get us together it's hard to get us apart um because we talk a ton and so um working with him and being a part of this with him has been phenomenal because we do have a lot of similar um there are enough differences that we can work together well but there are enough similarities that things flow uh which is perfect it's kind of that that um best of both worlds kind of things we do things differently. We have different opinions about certain things, but they're not the things that affect how the office is set up. And so, um, you know, one of the things that we, we talked about when we set, started setting this up was we are going to have streamlined staff. Um, we're not going to, for the first six months, we may not have more than one or two staff members. Um, essentially, um, we're, we're hiring RN, full-blown RNs instead of medical assistants right now. That's the plan because, you know, we want somebody that's going to be able to do a whole lot of stuff. And so, um so that right-hand person is, is going to be important. And we agreed on that. Uh, we agreed on, you know, location needing to be someplace that, you know, his his traditional thoughts about location were, oh, I've got to stay exactly in the one spot where all my patients were before. And we talked about it, and I kind of explained to him, um, you know what, maybe we should go where the people are and uh, try to be a little bit more accessible because we're going to be pulling from pools of people that, you know, weren't traditionally his patients. Um especially for me because I've I got to build my own patient base. And so we, we, did a, I, I, we had a conversation about that, and we came to a pretty strong, pretty positive uh, middle ground on that. It wasn't a compromise. Neither one of us gave up anything we wanted, but we found that middle ground, and we're good at doing that. And, um, you know, we may have our arguments about things, but it resolved very quickly. Um, and it's never anything that's, that's um, you know, bad. It, it, is, it is a phenomenal privilege to be able to work with my father and to, to be able to do what we're doing. Uh, and it's the only way I probably could have pulled it off, to be brutally honest. Wow, that is just, that is just so cool. Um, uh, the last topic here that we'll cover real quickly here is just social media in general when it comes to medicine. Um, you know, you started a podcast, you know, and, and uh, all the work that I'm doing here. Uh, kind of looking looking forward to, to 2012. Uh, where, 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 do you, where do you see you know, social media and, and medicine and family medicine or, or and or where would you like to see it go um, in the next uh, 12 months as we're coming up at the end of this year and the beginning of next year? We as physicians have a, a distinct, um, a very amazing opportunity here uh, to, to step up and, and, you know, family docs, you know, specialists, everybody to step up and make this a, a platform for education. Um, you know, in most cultures, the word for doctor is the same as the word for teacher. Uh, like, you know, Japanese sensei is the same. That's what they call the doctors. And so um, it, the idea here is you can provide that information. The problem is that we're going to have to, you know, learn about liability and make sure that we're covering ourselves there. But to be honest with you, um, 
you know, that needs to be less of a concern when you're providing actual good, solid information. And so I think that's that's one opportunity we have in social medicine. One of the things that I'm really interested in, and this is something that we kind of talked about offline, um, I really would love to see, you know, the the, the pervading kind of thing in, in social media, that the successful people in social media right now outside of medicine, so just in general, is consolidate. You know, the thing that they're doing right now is consolidation, getting people under a banner and saying, you know what, we're going to help each other out here. Um, we're going to say, you know, if if um, we're doing a podcast about family medicine, and there are three other people doing podcasts about family medicine, and they're all kind of they're all kind of good. They're all they have their own merit. Um, but let's let's put those people in the same room. Let's get those people on the shows on a regular basis. Let's get them having conversations because, uh, again. Listening to one person over and over again, and this is not a knock against anybody that does their own radio show or does their own blog or, does, or I mean, their own um, podcast, but um, listening to one person for any length of time, I, I am so ADD, I can't, I can't do it. It's almost like half the time it's almost like a lecture. Uh, you know, I already listen to my podcasts on one and three-quarter speed or double speed because I can't listen that long <laughs> without getting uh, frustrated or lost. And so, um, you know, my goal at this point is to – um, to, to potentially in the next, you know, six to eight months, get some of these people in the same room, get them talking about this stuff, get these, these, um, you know, if you listen to, you know, I don't know, you know, your listeners are very varied, like kind of like the people that have chosen to download my podcast, but the, the, I listen to the Nerdist podcast, which is a, a sort of a tech slash, um, I don't know, it's just all of the different things nerdy that, that are out there. Um, they talk about a lot of different things. And, uh, I listen to a couple of podcasts about, um, uh, different uh, science things. Neil deGrasse Tyson, who is a, um, a physicist, has a podcast that's really great. But he has people on there that talk about different things, and it's just so varied um, that that's one end of the spectrum. The Nerdist is three guys that sit around talking about stuff, and they talk about this stuff, um, and they'll have guests occasionally. But I, why not do something like that with family medicine? And you just don't see it being publicized as much. It may be out there, but why not? Let, let's get some of these people under that same banner. Let's get that name out there. Let's get that, you know, it, whether it's Family Medicine Rocks or it's Family Medicine Revolution or it's whatever, you know, let's put a name on it. Let's build a, you know, a site around it. Let's have some professional kind of, you know, production value to it, and let's do something with it. Let's make it, you know, because I know you, I saw you guys having kind of a conversation about on on Twitter. I was, uh, while I was working in between, I I'd kind of, been glancing at the trending and i saw that hcsm was kind of trending a little bit and i was i was reading some of those i don't know if you guys were answering questions or what you guys were doing but um but a lot of people were talking about that talking about how you know where is this going what's this going to be and you know you had a podcast a couple or last weekend uh, about that you know where where is social media going to go what are we going to do with it and so um I, I think it'd be cool to get just like what we're doing right now just get a bunch of us in a room and start talking about stuff you know one of the guys who hasn't been on a podcast who i think needs to is mike king you you remember Mike? Um, <laughs> yeah, I uh, know. and and if we could get him talking, you gotta you uh, gotta you, you gotta help me, man. You you, you gotta help me get him on. <laughs> trust me, trust me. Now that because, I'm you know, and, and uh, you know, and we're definitely on the same page on this. And uh, you know, that, that that's part of the work that I've been trying to do in family medicine is is, is to try to carry that flag and and uh, you know, but one of my wild dreams is, is to have. You know, a, a family medicine roundtable discussion on a podcast about hot topics. You know, once a month or something like that, and uh, you know, to to bring those people in, 
Um, and what I found is just my experience is it's just the scheduling is just so difficult, especially for physicians. Um, so, so other things I'm trying to do is, is when I go to especially family medicine meetings, it's trying to catch people in the hallways or try to catch people and say, hey, you know, do you have 20 minutes to talk with me and we'll record it and we'll put it out there or to get a few people in the same room uh, at a meeting uh, to try to do that. So, uh, so you're definitely on the right track there, Jerry, as far as, you know, what, what, what needs to happen. And uh, I really think that 2012 is, is, is going to be the year, especially for family medicine. Um, and I think this year is just, it's just family medicine uh, as a specialty is trying to get familiar with, with social media. And I think next year is really going to be the time where, where people are going to know about it and interact with it and, and not have these kind of, you know, solo type people out there. Um, we're going to, I want to see a lot more family medicine, social media collaborations uh, happening uh, next year, where, whether it be in the blogosphere or in podcasting or whatever. Uh, so that, that's my wild dream. And, and uh, you know, I, I, if you and I have to start the whole thing just with this show, you know, coming on every few you know weeks, I mean, I, you know, we, we should, we can do it, and we will do it, and, I, and I'm very excited about that. Viva la revolution! Um, I, I, I agree, and I, I would love to do that. Um, you know, you, you you give me a time and a place, and I will be there. It's kind of you know, you talk about schedules. What I have found as far as scheduling goes is if you just set something up and you say at 8 o'clock every Thursday or at 10 o'clock every Sunday, I'm doing this thing, and if you want to do it with me, be there, um, people actually show up. <laughs> so um, I, maybe maybe that's what we've got to do. And I don't know, like you said, this is this is a year of, of change, I think. I think when, when the AFP president got a Twitter account, I think things kind of hopefully have started taking off. Um, I've been trying, and, and I'm sure you have too, uh, I've been trying to bring the AAFP into the 20th century for the last five years, and maybe they'll jump right over into the 21st. Who knows? No, I mean, you know, you, you and I have been uh, on the inside being outsiders for a long time, and uh, I know that uh, you've been a fan of mine ever since Dr. Anonymous days, and I very, very much appreciate that, and, and I know that, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you, you and I will continue to be the nagging people uh, when it comes to organize, uh, organized medicine and trying to bring them uh, forward to uh, social media. So I'm very excited about that. So yeah, well, you and I will definitely uh, we'll definitely talk offline. Uh, bringing it back on this show, I can come on your podcast. You, we can we can we can start to to build this momentum in uh, 2012, especially when it comes to podcasting. You know, I mean, I, I think we need more more family medicine podcasters. I think a lot of them, a lot of people are just intimidated. You know, as far as not knowing what to do. People are more uh, comfortable with Twitter and Facebook and blogging. Uh, but I think you and I can really work with this as far as podcasting and, and, and see it's kind of the next level of social media as far as real-time interaction uh, when it comes to podcasting. And, and that's very exciting for me to kind of talk about. I agree. I look forward to it. All right, Jerry. So uh, any any closing thoughts here uh, this evening? Uh, I, this is a great show here, and uh, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll definitely be processing this for the next few weeks as far as what to plan for for 2012. But uh, any closing thoughts here for the uh, for the audience here as far as what, anything that we talked about here tonight, sir? Uh, just, uh, again, if you're family physicians listening or if you're healthcare professionals listening of any, any specialty, um, whether that's, you know, Allied Health or, you know, emergency um, you know, first responders, just do it. Um, I was I was always concerned that nobody was going to want to listen one or two that it was going to be too hard, just like you said. And um and I really it, I'm using an iPhone to do my podcast, so it's it's not it's something I already had, um, and it's something that I can that I can do in in 
you know, 30 minutes to an hour and have, you know, a fairly polished product that I can put out there. And it doesn't have to be great. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it's at least getting something out there and creating something and adding something to the, to the social collective. Um, the other thing you, you keep mentioning Facebook, which is a great place to find our page. The other thing that uh, people can check out if they're interested in our practice model, or if they want more information about it, uh, we do have a regular website right now. I'm, I'm learning my way around WordPress, which is a little bit more in depth than, than trying to make a podcast, which is kind of funny. Um, but I have, um, we have a website at, at uh, tapnky.com. It's uh, Total Access Physicians Northern Kentucky. So tapnky.com, um, and that'll direct you to our um, main website. And there's a frequently asked questions page there that will kind of explain anything that you may have questions about. I haven't been I, since I've been in, on the on the cell phone here in the car. I haven't been uh, following any of the Twitter questions or can't see the chat room or anything like that. So. Um, that that may have some answers there. If you want to send me emails, the email address is on there on that webpage as well. Excuse me. So uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a totalaccessphysicians.com and the email is info at totalaccessphysicians.com and uh, um, on Facebook, facebook.com/totalaccessphysicians. Hey, you got the brand going there, man. So it's pretty easy for uh, people to uh, remember. And uh, of course, uh, Dr. Jerry Tolbert. You can follow him on Twitter uh, for his zany tweets there at uh, dr Tolbert. <laughs> Uh, Dr. Tolbert, and uh, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. We should uh, we'll definitely collaborate when it comes to uh, 2012. Uh, very excited about this. Uh, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's tough for me to talk to myself for 40 minutes, and uh, <laughs> I know people people get uh, people get uh, fed up with that. But uh, but yeah, you know, ha- having people come on and interviewing them on the show here, I mean, it's always exciting. And and I'm thinking because I've I've gotten some good numbers here as far as Sunday night, 10 p.m. Eastern. Um, I'm still experimenting with this time slot here, uh, mainly because uh, you know there's a huge Twitter chat that happens a, an hour before. It is the HCSM Twitter chat that happens uh, uh, an hour before at 9 p.m. Eastern, um, and I'm trying to see if I get some stragglers from that, and I've gotten some. So this could be the time slot for next year. I'm not sure, uh, but I'll be experimenting with that too. So so that's kind of where I'm at with things. But but thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I really uh, very much appreciate it, there, man. Thanks for having me. I I always enjoy it when we get together to do this stuff. And and like I said, I look forward to doing more. Okay. We'll talk to you down the road. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks a lot. Have a good night. Okay. All right, kids. So just a a short uh, closing here. So that was Dr. Jerry Tolbert uh, from uh, Total Access Physicians uh, in Burlington, Kentucky. You can uh, check uh, check them out at totalaccessphysicians.com. Uh, Facebook.com slash Total Access uh, Physicians. Uh, there's also links to his podcast uh, called uh, Here's to Your Health, and uh, they have the uh, they have the feed burner uh, link there to, to check him out. Also follow him on Twitter at uh, dr uh, Tolbert. So that's the show here uh, this evening, and uh, you can check me out at FamilyMedicineRocks.com, and you can also follow me on Twitter. I'm still thinking about uh, getting a new name for this show here, so we'll, uh, we'll we'll see what happens here. The next show here will be, I think, New Year's Eve. Uh, I'm going to try to do a New Year's Eve show. I've done uh, one for a couple last couple of years and has been uh, pretty fun. Uh, so that ends the show here this evening. There's no closing song here. I'm just going to end uh, right here. And thank you so much for joining me. My name is Mike Savilla, and uh, you can follow me at uh, Family Medicine Rocks. Dot com, also on Twitter, also on Facebook. Hey, Merry Christmas, uh, everybody. Have a great uh, holiday week, and uh, we'll talk to you very soon. Good night, everybody. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.